0: Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good morning and welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm David Faber along with Jim Kramer. We're live from the New York Stock Exchange. Carl has the morning off. Let's give you a look at futures as we get ready to start things up here at the New York Stock Exchange a half hour from now. Begin a full trading week. As you can see, we are looking for, uh, what do we call that, I don't know, Jim? Slightly no. lower open? Whatever. Doesn't really matter. All right, let's get to our roadmap this morning. The rally, pause, record still within striking distance. Stocks are on track for what would be, well, we'll see, the first loss in four sessions. But really, you can't get much anything out of those futures moves right now. Plus, deal or no deal, the T-Mobile Sprint uh, battle heads to court. 13 state attorneys general, led by, of course, uh, California and New York, are seeking to block that merger. And it is an M&A Monday. We've got two... Big premium deals in biotech. Sanofi buying Synthrix and Merck set to acquire ArcCool I want to uh, get to that. Jim does, yes. too, because stock picking is so important there oh, my. in terms of figuring out where those premiums are going to end up for some of those deals. Stocks, though, overall set to uh, look for a modest open this morning. This, of course, after Friday's jobs report rally that resulted in the S&P erasing its losses for last week. Trade once again in focus. You heard Jim talking about it on Squawk Box just moments ago. The next round of U.S. tariffs against Chinese goods set to go into effect. It's going to be this Sunday, so we are now counting down. And new data shows Chinese exports to the U.S. fell 23 percent in November. I don't know how much more there is to say on this, Jim, but I'll give you a chance if you want it.
2: Look, I think that the president feels that he has the upper hand and the Chinese feel they have the upper hand, or else they wouldn't ratchet up. Chinese, by saying, listen, we want the U.S. PCs out, uh, rather amazing. That's Dell and it's you know, Hewlett Packard. Right. I just think, is that really the sign that you want to make a deal? I think that's right in the president's face. Uh, I think the president is feeling, wait a second, uh, there's no goodwill on the Chinese side. It, it would be incredible goodwill on the president's side if he just said, listen, I'm going to hold off. But that's not where I'm hearing not what you're hearing? No, it's not
0: what hearing. Um, To what extent, if any, does the fact that uh, jobs continue to hum along, that the consumer does not seem to be impacted at this point by the tariffs that are in place, affect the thinking of the hardliners in the administration, some of which I know are people that you at least have a good sense for?
2: Yeah, uh, I'd say that the 100% mm-hmm. the president just felt the numbers were really unbelievable. He put together a montage of people from all different networks saying that the numbers are good, not just his, uh, not just Fox. And I think that he's basically saying, look, uh, maybe the American people are really ready to take them on. Uh, I think the president was also very upset about the Chinese adopting malicious cybersecurity rules uh, that are very bad for the United States. I I think he just feels like this is the time to walk away. The American consumer is strong. Uh, The enterprise doesn't seem that
0: weak. Jim, you, you keep talking about it as though no, well, it's something that, that is not going to happen. Well, I, and it, it, I just wonder whether you feel that, that stocks adequately reflect an expectation it's not going to happen. Sunday comes along, tariffs go into place. Right. Uh, on Monday, are we here saying, oh, investors had expected it or, oh, they hadn't?
2: No, I think it's the former. I think that people uh, continue to believe that there's going to be a deal. It's because they think it's rational. Uh, they do. They do. I think it's rational. Why not do a deal? It's good for both sides. I think if the president were con- weren't continually prodded by the Chinese, you know, humiliated to some degree by the Chinese.
0: Humiliated? Humiliated, really? humiliated yeah. Really?
2: Well, because like, you know, he keeps saying, uh, the minutian people keep saying, they're totally on board the Chinese, but they, they absolutely want to do a deal. Yeah. And then you know, the president wakes up and he sees that the PCs, uh, they, uh, our PCs are going to be outlawed when he would expect that the PCs would be uh, accelerated, more PCs. So he he wants some sign that
0: the the Chinese want to do a deal so that he Um, can do it. You know, the way I hear you talk, though, sometimes, and you were saying this in Squawk Box, I mean, we could end up with two separate, for all intents perp, systems in the economic uh, world. Right. That would not necessarily be good.
2: No, it wouldn't. I mean, we're a consumer-driven economy, so we don't want to panic people.
0: But... We could, but eventually over time, the Chinese could outpace us. True, it's, but... And, you know, success here doesn't mean success around the world.
2: No, no. I, I, I do think that the... Here's a good example, World Bank. We, uh, the World Bank is funded a lot you know, by the United by States. Us, yes. uh, world Bank still gives a lot of money to China. Yes. The president would like to see that end. So Mnuchin takes a point of view of, you know what, we're going to end it over time. The president wants to see it end now, now, like today, uh, and he's frustrated, I think, by his own by his own people.
0: Well, he typically uh, deals with that pretty quickly when, right. he, when he gets frustrated. Yes, All he right. does. While he's watching uh, the
2: the school lunchroom,
0: Saturday Night Live, where I don't know what it is. he's watching he, the he's watching how much water's in the toilet bowl and complaining about that. And- Faucets don't work and the drip drip. it has got, got some time on his hands. terrific. I, some of the stuff is.
2: But just, look, I think it's okay. it, it's Fisher cut bait time, and I think that the cut bait is thanks for nothing, China. You really have done endlessly. You've provoked me endlessly. And where is the big soy order? And the answer is
0: incoming. It's coming from Brazil. Um, all right, let's get to stocks this morning. Uh, and let's focus in part on deals, of course, one of the areas that I love. Uh, two deals this morning involving. The push to boost cancer drug pipelines. Merck is agreeing to acquire Arkul. It's a deal valued at 20 bucks a share, 2.7 billion. Sanofi buying I Hope I'm pronouncing these right for two and a half billion shares of the companies are being acquired. On, of course, the respective hopes for both of their drugs. It's the premiums here that are just extraordinary. And yeah. by the way, we have a full screen to sort of because this has been a theme: the large buying small as a percentage of their overall market caps. These deals are tiny. The premiums, though, if you are in some of these names, if you're in Spark, which, by the way, is still waiting FTC approval, right. we are in uh, Raw Pharma or a Dentist, remember we were talking about that last week, that's gene therapy, medicines company even, again, uh, uh, and or, I mean, these cancer oncology-related platforms. You've made fortunes. But by the way, Jim, it's interesting because everybody's like, oh, i just got to go out and buy biotech. No, you don't, because there are plenty of overvalued companies as well that we see down sharply on a failed drug uh, uh, test and or simply are overvalued and are not of interest to the large companies that continue to try to gobble these things up in order to create the pipeline of the future. And the pipeline so often it's involving cancer. Yes.
2: Uh, the Arquil deal you mentioned, I think it's an ARQL, uh, selective cancer cell killer. David, this stock was at seven fifty seven dollars 50 a, a month ago. Now, it goes out of $20, okay? Um, the the symbol Thor, I like that, for uh, Synthorix, that's a $2.5 billion deal. That stock was at 18 last week. It's going out to 68 I <laughs> Now, I mean, we can spend all our these time. lottery tickets. Yes. I mean, now, yeah. you, look, S&P's up 25%, so that's pretty amazing. Obviously, so many people don't even realize that. But, David, either these stocks are dramatically un-
0: undervalued or the Mercs and the Fes are desperate. Well, it could be both. Listen, what you'll hear from those who are selling these companies is they have wonderful signs. Now, they are, a, they are still phase two. They're still a ways from commercializing. Uh, whatever it might be. In ARQL's case, it's uh, its candidate as a novel oral butan right. tyrosine kinase inhibitor currently in phase two dose expansion for B-cell malignancies. Uh, in the case of uh, syntherix, it's a novel discovery platform that's produced a molecule that has the potential to become a foundation of the next generation of immuno-oncology combination therapies. Right. But what it is is the buyers here see amazing science. Right. And a market that apparently has been mispricing that science. Well, as I he, said, though, it's not as though this is the rule. No. In fact, there are plenty where the market perhaps is overvaluing the science. But that's what it's about. The shareholders of these large companies, Jim, are encouraging them to take their shots. Absolutely. And that's why Glaxo stock has actually done well
2: after they've spent a fortune. Uh, Novartis, Novartis has done well. But, David, have you ever dialed one 800 lab rat? I have not. Okay, that gets you to Charles River Lab, where they do uh, studies on lab rats on these drugs. And you get a kind of a positive read from Charles River. Look, uh, Merck will then take, Merck will take this drug uh, and Sanofi would take the drug to Charles River. Right. And Charles River will then do the work. It's not like you have to, these companies are gigantic research arms anymore. No. They all floated to Charles River uh, and then their sales, their sales teams. That's what they
0: do. There are sales right. Well, teachers. hoping that, of course, we'll get the approvals that they need right. and or being part of a larger portfolio. And oncology is important here in part because right now there's not as much pushback, certainly in terms of the insurance company's willingness to pay or the government's willingness to pay. I'm so Very you high prices that. for these therapies. In and the there hospital. has been a lot of innovation. You know, you,
2: you've been following it, too, that the hospitals yeah. are, are willing to pay 10 times yeah. for the drugs. And, uh, There's a lot of aspects of the healthcare system that have been crunched in price, not cancer drugs, going up. And the hospitals have, I don't want to say they're hidden anything, but you can pretty much get away with anything, given the fact that if you can solve or keep someone alive, it's worth it for the patient. The system doesn't seem to mind.
0: Yeah, Uh, we're going to keep an eye on all of these, but it's the premiums themselves. The deal size... I mean, they're not tiny, but they're certainly not mega deals. But there are hundreds the premium, of these. There are so many of them. I and get called sometimes. We around. focus. It's funny. We focus so much on technology, so to speak. But I, I know plenty of people who've made their fortunes in, in in biotech. Yes, entrepreneurs who start these companies, who by the way are not necessarily scientists, but are very good at finding those people, the niche, and or finding the niche, creating the company. Meanwhile, you then, have a biomerin that's been around and then, forever. Then getting the exit.
2: Biogen, been around forever, nothing. But those are big pharma now. Well, Biogen is an enormous company. Enormous.
0: Yeah, but the, is an, yeah. I mean, these
2: are what they but, w- once were. But, smaller. David, you're on the board of Merck. You're buying something that was at $7.50 less than a month ago. You're paying 20 Is it because it's only $2.7 billion that nobody bats an eye?
0: Yes. But that's incredible. That's why. What is it? I mean, for... company that generates cash like that, it's not much.
2: I know. Yeah, I guess in order to be able to say we're in the game. Yep. But I find these things unbelievable. And people
0: at home, I wish they recognized, you know what, you can buy a basket of like three of these four of these you can but if you go out and buy the biotech index i mean it may be the one one of the few cases where it actually pays to pay a manager one percent or whatever the number is if they're good the baker brothers yeah man yeah. those guys are good the baker brothers are very good i got a buddy who's great at it too but he's running all his private capital the fact is though that if you there maybe there's some public managers who really are good at identifying the right science.
2: well there's right car t they're worth paying for i agree and i i, I think they are you know who's done the best for. i know i'm endless in it but bristol myers that released some papers this weekend at the Merck uh, Society of Hematology and, wow, positive. Yeah. Versus, say, Coca-Cola. We're going to be talking about we Coca-Cola. We are. I'm looking forward to that. Now, the there's a stock, coming up. You know,
0: every little, goes up a little bit. He is the CEO of Coca-Cola. By the way, they're celebrating 100 years as a public company. Imagine that. I wonder who their venture investors were. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, he's going to be here ringing the opening bell. Up next, we've got Jim's Mad Dash. Also, give you another look at futures here, of course, as we get ready to start trading 17 minutes from now. A lot more Squawk on the Street is straight ahead. All right, this is the time when we stand on Squawk on the Street because we have a Mad Dash. Nice to stretch. Sure. Our enormous height. Enormous Titans just yeah. died this weekend. Say again. Paul Volcker. I know, and Don. Don Maren. Maren. We're going we're to actually want to talk okay. about both those gentlemen, of course, who were extremely tall. Yes, uh, but let's get to a
2: mad dash, David. There's really a, uh, it's a two horse race again in the home improvement sector. There's Lowe's, Marvin Ellison doing a great job. And we have Home Depot. Home Depot has an analyst meeting on Wednesday. This morning, right in that analyst meeting's face, Goldman Sachs goes and makes this top idea Lowe's, talking about how Lowe's, is the execution is turning around. Marvin Ellison is doing a remarkable job. I don't think people realize exactly how competitive he's rendering it. The Home Depot people will say, listen, we're still beating Lowe's, absolutely. And that is true. They're but, not you know, happy with you. You keep saying that. Well, they're not happy. Hey, you know, a lot of people aren't happy with me. It's okay. I, as long as the dogs are happy with me. And they, they tend to respond to treats. Yes, um, so anyway, I think the Lowe's is a great stock to own here because one of the things that happens is if Ellison can drive the, uh, the dot-com, e-com, he, he, he can really make it. What, a- what has Ellison been doing right? Cleaning up the stores, changing, changing management wholesale, uh, making the stores more friendly to professionals without losing the uh, amateurs. And I think that when you go to a Lowe's, it's a very different feel. There had been a disarray feel at Lowe's. And that he is he's really concentrating on execution. And it's for real. Remember, he was at Home Depot for a long time. Remarkable man. I think he can turn it around. Big.
1: I it agree with the Goldman
2: piece. This doesn't mean that you're negative on Home Depot. Not at all. It's just just that every time Home Depot report, you would just say, "Ah, yeah, they're doing so much better than Lowe's. Now, Home Depot continues to do well. And that was an aberration that last quarter. And their Home Depot, I understand, aberration. okay, aberration. But uh, no aberration to Ellison's
0: very quick turn. And to be applauded. These are remarkable, Jeff. All right. Keep an eye on shares of Lowe's. Uh, Also going to be keeping an eye on shares of Coca-Cola. Why? Well, the company's CEO, James Quincy, is ringing the opening bell right here at the Big Board, and he will join us soon after that. Squawk in the Street. We'll be right back. Well, Jim talked about it during the Mad Dash and mentioned it. We lost two Giants over the last couple of days, uh, literally and figuratively. Uh, Don Marin, of course, once uh, ran Payne Weber, and Paul Volcker, uh, we've just learned, has passed away as well at 92. Of course, Fed chair from 79 to 87, famously uh, having... Attacked inflation, yes, uh, with rates that we have not seen, nor perhaps will ever see again. No. It worked,
2: yes. Being October 6 of 1979, uh, he decided that tar- uh, Fed Chair Volker decided to target the c- target credit, making credit harder to get, taking rates up. David, a lot of people feel that after he broke inflation, that's when the great bull market began. And there have been stutter, stutter steps, but a lot of people think of Volcker as the man who made America. A, a country that was regarded as um, not willing to take inflation
0: anymore. Well, the great bull market in bonds began, too. Yes, and it's been... You can More sell
2: 14%, 15%, 16% bonds, uh, treasuries to people in the early 80s, uh, 30-year. And, and that paper just kind of came due. So I, 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 everyone respected Volcker. Now, then there was a second Volcker, the Volcker who came in after the a great Recession. Yes. And basically said, listen, we've got to get these banks from taking on risk. It very unpopular. Again, you know what he did? He took unpopular stances in an era where people seemed to always want to please. And I think that's extraordinary. If we had more leaders willing to take unpopular stands on behalf of the country, who knows what could happen.
0: Yeah. Um, Don Marin also uh, passed away uh, suddenly uh, this weekend at 86. Uh, we know him, of course, as the man of rain, Payne-Weber, uh, built that firm and sold it at an incredible, incredible price. price, rewarding shareholders enormously. A great investor, uh, also a great collector of art. Yes. Um, started Light, uh, light year, He started a number of PE firms or helped to seed them that have had enormous success. Somewhat overlooked, uh, I think, yes. as, as sort of a real giant in the financial services industry.
2: And yet extraordinarily kind.
0: You would meet him,
2: say, at a restaurant. You can go in to see him. And you'd always be thinking, don't you know you're a Titan? Uh, yep. Don't you know that uh, you are powerful? And No, he carried himself as if he were uh, a great salesman trying to please you yep. uh, And I, I always felt great when I would see him. Yeah. I always felt like, wow, you know what? I'm in the
0: game. And that was his way uh, he will be missed. I know a lot of people who are close to him and who are going to miss him a, a great deal, uh, particularly because he was so vibrant right up until his last Yeah, night, vibrant. Last moments. Our condolences, obviously, to, uh, to both of their families. Squawk on the Street is going to be right back. You're watching CNBC Squawk on the Street. We're live from the financial capital world. The opening bell will be ringing a little more than three and a half minutes from now. A lot of Coca-Cola right behind us. Looks good, doesn't it? Yeah, Glass bottles. Very nice. Incoming uh, T-Mobile CEO Mike Sievert arriving in a Manhattan federal court moments ago up on Pearl Street. There he is. Of course, the company uh, and Sprint both looking to defend that $26.5 billion deal that they signed, oh, quite some time ago. But state's attorneys from 13 states and the District of Columbia say the deal should be blocked because it will limit competition and result in higher prices. For consumers, T-Mobile and Sprint rebut those claims, argue that there is more competition than just four carriers in the wireless market, including, of course, our parent company Comcast, Charter, both of which are using these MVNOs to garner new customers all the time. And as part of the deal that was approved by the DOJ in terms of the consent decree, the divestitures going to DISH would conceivably over time create another nationwide wireless player in 5G. Jim, it's highly unusual to see states' AGs do something like this, perhaps not in the age of Trump, where I would argue the DOJ comes under more scrutiny, perhaps, and people wonder about, well, or I should say at least there is this partisan view, almost, so that you've got now Democratic AGs going after uh, the company here because they simply don't believe the DOJ did enough.
2: We think, uh, watching this case, rather astonishing about states' rights. Same thing with with uh, technology. States are, are asserting themselves where people didn't think they would assert themselves. David, uh, there's a piece this morning by uh, Bank of America Merle about Skyworks and Corvo saying the strength of the 5G offering in the United States is incredible. Well, you can't have... A robust 5G market unless that deal occurs. Now, that's something John Ledger convinced me of over multiple months. I, I was very right. skeptical, but Ledger relentlessly pushed
0: that to me, and, and I has agree been, with him. That has been their key argument. That is conceivably why the FCC said yes. The DOJ, obviously, with certain uh, restrictions and or divestitures forced from the, the two companies, said yes. Uh, because they do view 5G as so important and conceivably you need as much capital as possible and spectrum to be able to, uh, ledgers, by the way, in the courtroom as well. But, Jim, the states simply say, you know what, it's going to increase concentration in an already concentrated market. Um, They're uniquely aggressive on price, Sprint and Timo. It's going to disappear from the marketplace. It's going to make coordinated interaction easier. uh, And higher prices are going to hurt poor consumers. It's a federal issue. It's not a state's
2: rights issue. Attorneys general are taking on issues that are
0: disagreeing with what the longer-term federal government view is for the nation. But that's because of the higher level of distrust overall. Yes, it is. And in part, people look at the DOJ's actions in Time Warner, AT&T, wondered whether it was politicized and how quickly Rupert Murdoch got his approvals. For the Fox deal, in terms of Disney, again, I'm not taking sides here, no. but that's what they look at, and they raise questions. This
2: court case is so important, because if the AGs lose, at a certain point, AGs are going to say, you know what, we don't have the time to do this, we don't have the resources to do this. They get together, but they are not the force that is supposed to determine U.S. policy. Right. Maybe a federal court is going to disagree with that, but that has not been the lay of the land, David.
0: It hasn't. It hasn't. Uh, We'll come back to it in a moment. That was the opening bell here, of course. You can take a look at our real-time exchange back at uh, CNBC. Here at the big board, Coca-Cola, of course. We've mentioned 100 years as a public company. That's pretty impressive. Yes, it is. How many? Don't get a lot of those. Uh, James Quincy, you see him in the middle there. He'll be joining us in a few minutes. Over at the NASDAQ, Forbes' ninth annual 30 under 30 list featuring young entrepreneurs and Game changers. Game changers.
2: I was We're 40 a long under 40. way for anything
0: with 30 in front of it or yeah. three in front of it. Well, you get a
2: two-for-one split. A I'm f- right there. Uh, <laughs> David, when I was going over Coca-Cola, I remember when I was at Goldman Sachs and people say, what stock do you like? Coca-Cola. Why? Hi. Well, it's been around for 70 years. And it pays a good dividend. Uh, now it's challenged by plastic. It's challenged by water. It's challenged by do millennials continue to like sugared water in an era where millennials care more about their bodies than the people, uh, baby boomers? Yes. So a number of questions to ask, Mr. Quincy, because uh, are the secular trends against them? Because the short term is very positive. Very positive.
0: Yeah. The numbers are very Um, good. And we're going to talk to Quincy. I want it's funny. I I, I was going to focus in part on sustainability and their goals there because it's such an important part now of their... Delivering for their changing investor base, right. and it goes to this theme that I've been trying to emphasize, which of course is about ESG uh, and the significance uh, of that investing and how much how many assets are moving into right at least with that metric. Those metrics we've never talked about. No, and yet we with. have to because what is, how much water consumption do you have? Right. And, and uh, water consumption makes excuses, so it
2: may, plastic may actually be a winner in some cases. David, when I was with the Robinhood folks last week. 10 million million accounts, very quickly, small. What do they ask first? Earnings per share? No. E-S-G. Yep. They want to know. They don't want to invest in any company that an outlaw in their eyes. Right.
0: What's your carbon footprint? What are you doing in terms of climate, agriculture, human rights, giving back, women in the workplace, water,
2: packaging? I find it just so refreshing, so interesting to have a conscience while investing. It's really extraordinary that these people spend a lot of time looking at labels.
0: What well, would, would be new for you?
2: I pivoted at the beginning of 2019 uh, when my daughter Cece said, Dad, do you want to be irrelevant or do you want to be relevant? So you have a conscience now? Yeah. Oh. Well, I mean, I had a conscience you when I checked still it at a the door. Dollar sign masquerading as a man. Never you? changed that. Okay, good. But I did know that my daughter said, Would you like to be relevant? Would you mention ESG <laughs> periodically?
0: <laughs> All right. what... Speaking Even Coca Cola is laughing. Speaking at me. of dollar signs and stocks, what do we want to uh, what do we want to keep an eye on? You know what? I um, what? Xerox what? and HP. I don't want to forget about something. that fight. They come with uh, their deck at Xerox this morning, um, saying all the reasons why uh, investors should be listening to them as they go out to seek Jeez, the, uh, the votes potentially in the future. They have not mounted a proxy fight yet, but certainly it's a, a, a real possibility, as we've said. They filed that presentation. Um, Going to meet with their shareholders, that is HP shareholders. They continue to talk about how they've delivered in their own program at Xerox, Gym in terms of the cost saves right. uh, that they have identified. They talk, of course, about over $2 billion in synergies that they need. And it's, it can be somewhat confusing when you look at the... Presentation itself, which I failed to bring up, so I'm trying to do that right now. But they are talking about a value of $31 because they're valuing the pro forma company. Uh, they're saying it adds $14 a share. Now, the deal's worth 22, 17 in cash, uh. the remainder in Xerox stock. HP shareholders own 48%. But they're saying, yeah, but pro forma that stub at the multiple that we think it should get, and it's be worth another $14 a share to you kind of confusing. So their implied value, they're saying, is 31. The actual value on paper, 22. Um, but he's going to make a big argument, uh, John Byzantine, about why, they're, why they've are why they got to at least get three weeks of due diligence.
2: Well, uh, I do think that the combination is a great one. I know HP uh, Q delivered a very good quarter. No one seemed to care at all. Uh, next quarter, I think it's going to be constrained by Intel chips. Uh, I think you're right to follow this one, because in the end, what happened in 2018
0: was that H.P. wanted to merge, so it's just natural to keep pushing and pushing. And they will. Uh, the key, uh, key date to remember, well, the window opens on, uh, I think it's right around Christmas, uh, for nominees to the board, and that will be a key moment there. Does H.P. allow them diligence in some fashion, or is the stiff arm going to be sort of the key uh, here, and then is Xerox going to move forward with a proxy fight? Obviously far, far smaller, $8.7 billion in revenue compared to $58 right. billion in revenue at uh, H.P., um, but uh, much uh, higher margins, adjusted EBITDA margins at least. And again, they're talking about a company that combined free cash flow of $5.7 billion in their
1: opinion.
2: I Not think, a lot of growth, though. Not a lot of top-line growth. You no, know, but Mr. Loras has got a plan to restore growth, including a, a great way to be able to sell ink, bundle, and subscription form. I know he wants a chance to try it. I get the sense that he's feeling, give me a chance, and I can get my stock up. And then if we want to buy Xerox, we will. Um,
0: what else should we be watching this morning? David,
2: Jim? there's a piece about Boeing that people, you know, Boeing has dropped off the face of what we talk about. But there's an analyst, we don't really talk much about analysts who really can impact things these days. Kyvon Rumor at Callen is saying uh, watch items delaying cash flow recovery. Talking about the max schedule appearing to be slipping.
1: Hello. i like to tell you that we want well, to apologize. We are experiencing some technical difficulties, but we are still broadcasting from CNBC, uh, the leader in
0: business news. So right now, I want to tell you that shares of Canopy, they're up more than 9% this morning after the company
1: announced it has put in place a new CEO. That new CEO is actually the former CFO of Constellation Brands. That's a company that took a large
0: stake in Canopy growth last year, bumping its initial investment in November 2017 at about 10 percent, up to about 38 percent last year, and if making a $4 billion investment again. shares of Canopy up about 9 percent. And right now, I want to t- toss things over to
1: Courtney Reagan with more news. Courtney?
3: Hi there, Frank. Thank you so much. Let's get a quick check on the markets here. We've got the Dow down just about 22 points. We're only about 10 minutes into trading. And of and, of course, this does come off what we saw on Friday when we had a nice triple-digit gain after that very strong jobs report. We're going to bring you some news about Macy's shares, which are trading lower after a downgrade from Goldman Sachs. You can see shares down now about a percent. Of course, we know that the department stores have been in a rough patch as of late. Macy specifically shares have lost about half of their value so far this year going into the holidays it's certainly not what any retailer wants to see when you're losing some confidence from Wall Street analysts. So we're gonna continue to watch this and see how it pressures the rest of the retail sector as we uh, continue to follow the stories going into the holiday season, which as far as we can tell, at least online, we're setting some records after some weak traffic in the malls or weaker than expected traffic from last year's numbers in the malls and stores on Black Friday weekend. I'm gonna send it over to Dominic Chu.
4: All right. Thanks very much, Courtney Reagan, for that. Uh, As you can see there, we've turned a little bit mixed so far in trading today. We were poised to see probably the first down day out of the last four uh, just about five minutes ago with trading just starting and going. The S&P 500 up about just about one point right now as well. The Dow Industrial is hovering just around flat in the Nasdaq up about two tenths of one percent, 16 percent in one second. I want to now bring in Steve Leisman. Uh, To talk a little bit about just how the markets are setting up as we head into this trading week, Steve, the economy is certainly a focus right now for many traders out there, especially given what we've seen so far over the last couple of weeks with regard to Fed decisions, economic data, and everything else. What exactly does this mean now as markets get going into what's seasonably a strong time of the year for stocks and markets overall? So that big jobs report from Friday echoed through the weekend, echoes to today. It's going to echo all the way through the Fed meeting on
1: Wednesday. 266,000 is not a number that you're going to forget very quickly. Uh, It it speaks to strength in the economy. It took the bear case and set it back, certainly, several months, if not into 2021, this idea that we were definitely going to have a recession. That's one. Uh, Two, is it raised questions about the extent of the slowdown. We knew we're slowing down in the fourth quarter. The GDP data, the economic data still shows that. um, But we're not quite sure really how much we're slowing. In fact, now the idea may be that we're not slowing as much as expected.
4: You know, it's crazy because over the last few months, we've talked about this idea that there were some people looking for a possible redux of fourth quarter of 2018. It's very different right now. It's very different right now than it was back at the fourth quarter of last year, right? The Fed is certainly a big wild card in that.
1: Senator, this is not your fourth quarter of 2018. (laughs) We had Fed policy going the other way. We had a a greater uncertainty about trade. Um, Trade still exists as as an uncertainty. Brexit still Exists as an uncertainty. That's two. But right now, the Federal Reserve is on hold. The big question coming up for the Wednesday meeting, how much will they bring down their forecast for rate hikes in the years ahead? Right now, they're still looking at a long run rate of two and a half percent. They're sitting now at this one and a half to one and three quarter percent range. The idea that I'm seeing is that the Fed is going to be on hold for several
4: months into next year. All right. The Fed's certainly a key focus. Very different this time than it was back in the fourth quarter of 2018. Now we're going to send it back down to the New York Stock Exchange. David Faber, things are up and running out there for you. all. Uh, hopefully things stay that way. I'll send things back over to you.
0: <laughs> we'll hope so, Dom. Yeah, our viewers may have noticed, of course, we did go black. I always envision that guy from Airplane just pulling the plug and everything. That's what happened here. Um, but our thanks to Dom and Frank and Courtney and Steve for uh, filling in there. We are back uh, here at the NYSE. And, of course, as we've mentioned, Coca-Cola celebrating 100 years as a public company. want to have Jim now take it over.
2: Well, we are uh, very thrilled to have James Quincy. He's the CEO of Coca-Cola. And I've got to tell you, uh, James, congratulations. You have ignited growth here. Your organic growth is 5%. The street have been looking for 4.1%. That, you run a very big company. How can you turn a ship like that at 5%?
5: Well, I think the, you know, the, what we've been able to focus on is the things we control. You know, The macro, macros out there are a little weird. We focus on what we know how to do. The marketing, the innovation, and working with our bottlers to execute Coke is growing at its fastest rate in the last 10 years. So we're hitting it, and we're building the portfolio with lots of other drinks.
2: You are also, let's talk about the other drinks, sparkling soft drinks, uh, juice, dairy, plant-based, plant-based beverages, uh,
5: water-enhanced water and sports drinks. These are all very additive to your earnings. Absolutely. I mean, our focus is creating a portfolio not just of beverages, but of leading, winning beverages. And that's what we're really focused on. Do we have the branding, the innovation, the design to create a difference with consumers that allows us to win in the marketplace. And And we're building the portfolio.
2: And one of the things that I find, I was with Robin Hood, which is uh, an outfit that has mostly millennials, 10 million. Uh, And one of the things that they talk about over and over again is sustainability. I have my hand, what I imagine may be a pilot project. I'm going to pass over to you, David. This is a bottle made with recycled marine plastic. When we hear about that island of plastic
5: in the Pacific, James, you're conscious of it, and you want to do something about it. Absolutely. We know that high-value plastics like uh, beverage bottles, uh, we can, so long, as long as we get them back, we can make them back into new bottles, and we're very focused on driving, collection, uh, to be able to drive that up, and that's, that's going to be a big win. But still, there's plastic, particularly low-value plastic, getting into the seas, and what that bottle is, and is is a pilot experiment. Can we take any type of plastic? and use advanced chemical recycling and turn it into high-value bottle plastic, which then creates a circular economy. So I think, you know, the plastic problem can be brought under control if we focus on collection and then we get innovation to be able to recover the waste that's out there and reuse it. Uh, Specifically to that, uh, there's a
0: Wall Street Journal story today about new chemical uses that can actually create... Plastic from plastic that is brand new, for lack of a better term, as opposed to having sort of that life where it can only be used a few times. Is that a real effort? I know that you're a part of it.
5: And are your hopes that it will become significant at scale? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think as, as, as we look at plastics, there's the high value plastics like beverage bottles that if we can collect them, we can just make new bottles. And that's easy. That's existing technology. This new technology and that bottle there is an example of it. And the article re- references the chemical recycling. If we can get that to scale, which I think we can, not tomorrow morning, but over time, then we can collect back all the low value waste, the marine waste, the sachets, and turn it into brand new plastic particularly high-value plastic, and that will be a breakthrough. Uh,
0: James, you have your sustainability goals as sort of something that you now prominently display. You know, how important is that? How much time are you spending with your shareholder base, what I would argue is probably a changing shareholder base as they all are, talking about packaging and water and women and human rights and agriculture and, of course, climate, which a lot of this comes back to?
5: Absolutely. I mean, and I think the attention that... I mean, we have been having our sustainability goals out there for... You know, the last 10 years, actually, I think it was like 1946 we launched the first returnable secondary packaging, the craze the, that the, the bottles came in. But the, the amount of attention by the investor base has shot up exponentially in the last few years. And I think we have a very clear strategy uh, around the various areas you talk about, whether it's plastics, water, sugar, women and the community in general. Um, so it's inherent to our approach. Uh, and I think it's something the investors are in super increasing you confident you can get your estimated percentage reduction of carbon footprint of uh,
0: 25 percent by 2020
5: um yes yes i am confident we can get there. we don't have all the answers but for example we set ourselves the goal of becoming water neutral uh some 10 years ago we said we'd get there by 2020 and we got there in 2015 so we have a track record of setting ambitious sustainability goals and going after them in the end there's only one planet, and uh, we all want to live on it, uh, and we want to be able to do so with a good quality of life, and that requires us to hit these sustainability goals. Otherwise, the only other answer is less. hundred years ago,
2: American company, American-made, Georgia. I find your company to be extraordinary. These days, they are ambassadors for the United States. You, too. You've worked everywhere, like Mutar Kent. Does it matter these days... United States considered to be uh, a little bit different from the way that you've seen it over time, more nationalistic, uh, certainly more jingoistic, so to speak, but you represent a world-class company. What is the feeling around the world about us, and does it matter that we're an American company, that you're an American company?
5: Uh, Absolutely it matters that uh, Coca-Cola is an American company. I think the great success of the Coca-Cola company has been able to center itself on, yes, being a global company and a global brand, rooted in the core American values, which frankly are shared by most people around the world, and yet still be local. To bring our business to life in a locally relevant way, whether that's local marketing or with local partners, in the end, we create hundreds of thousands of blue-collar jobs around the world. And that's what governments are interested in, uh, bringing economic advancement to the people in the country. And that's what the Coca-Cola business system is fantastic at. Can you
2: please talk about things like building a plant in Gaza, building plants where
1: people don't build plants?
5: Yeah, I mean, we, we are literally present everywhere except for two countries uh, in the world. And we, we go to the furthest end to build the plants. I mean, we have, we have plants, of course, in Israel, but we have them in the Palestine. We have them in Gaza. We, we are oftentimes, in some you know, struggling countries, one of the few robust private employers. And we will go and invest always with local partners. Uh, wherever wherever we're allowed to.
2: Now, uh, I know that it's been a personal obsession of mine. I speak to you about it endlessly, which is Topo Chico. This is an acquisition that you made, but I want to point out that last week I, I dined with the CEO, uh, CEO of, with the top people at, uh, at Chipotle, at Bar San Miguel, and they wanted Topo Chico. You still cannot meet demand. Now, let me ask you something. Not meeting demand is both a blessing and a curse. This drink is, I have
5: to believe, a billion, maybe $2 billion drink. Can you manufacture enough? We we, we have not been able to make enough yet. We're working on it very diligently. Um, it's a fantastic brand. People love it so much. That, I should have told you, please tell it, describe it. Yeah, it's, it's a glass-based it, it, brand. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful, sparkling uh, water drink uh, in a beautiful glass bottle. Lots of authentic heritage. It looks fantastic. It tastes extraordinary. Um, and we have... Not quite called demand correctly, let's say, uh, um, and we're ramping it up, um, and we're, we're selling all we can make, uh, but we're dedicated to doing better. What's this company going to look like 100 years from now? we Are still going to be drinking stuff, or are we going to be like robots? Well, if you're not drinking walking? anything, you're probably in trouble. Um, yeah, I mean, what, one of the basic human needs is, 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 are beverages. I mean, food and beverages, you can talk about disintermediated intermediate uh, this, the robots that, but you've got to eat and drink. And that's why it's a fabulous business with an amazing amount of growth potential.
2: I know that you speak to all shareholders. Uh, Warren Buffett stocks up 14 percent, continues with a great dividend. Uh, Can I presume he's happy with what you do?
5: Well, I'm sure in my my relationship with Warren, I've always found that when he's not, he'll tell me. Uh, And so I think he's uh, he's doing good. Well, I've got to tell you, you're you're a joy
2: to have, and uh, it's been the stock that I've recommended the most since 1983, because no one ever got hurt recommending Coca-Cola, and you continue to deliver. But congratulations on these other issues, employing people around the globe, being a great ambassador for the United States. We need more companies, and we need more people who understand how great our country can be.
5: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thanks for coming. Thank you. All right, coming up. The changing banking industry landscape, BB&T and SunTrust, have completed their merger. The combined company, by the way, now called Truist. We're going to talk with CEO Kelly Cain. He was the or... chief executive of bb Let's walk welcome the street. We'll be right back. Right, time for Stop Trading with Jim Mai, how the time goes by. Kai Von Rumer is a very good analyst. He works at Cal. Calend-
2: put out a disturbing piece today about Boeing, talking about how the inflection might not be till 2021. Now, David, uh, Boeing, as we often talk about, is part of duopoly. So please don't anyone think that means the order is necessarily going to go away. Uh, but I do feel that Boeing cash flow is important and we've got to stay on the case to be sure that uh, the longer things go, the delay goes, so, uh, hopefully Boeing will have no problem with say it's dividend or it's cash flow. But
0: just Put it out there. It's had the worst year you could imagine for a public company.
2: Then it's up 9%. Yeah. I know. But uh, let's just beware. It's something that people want to watch. I wish they got into Canopy Growth where uh, David Klein became CEO. That's been very important. People speculated. Fra- Frank Collins consult- did met- hit that on oh, the air. Oh, okay. While I'm we sorry. Were, I didn't while know we that. were uh, having I technical difficulties. So, but yes. I-, I just look, Boeing, great American company, needs to pull uh, this together. Needs yep. to get the max together. Um, What do you got on Matt tonight? I've got a company called Nutanix, which has become very, very competitive in this hyper-converged solutions for a data center. Uh, And and I've got to tell you, uh, Dierge is a tough guy, and he takes no prisoners. I wouldn't be surprised if he slashed VMware tonight. Mortal
0: competitor, but also some friend, but really a competitor. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street.